great to be back. I know this. We were here a little over a month ago with you, and uh, we have thanked the Lord the last month for his goodness in many different ways, and it's great to be back this morning with you here at Faith Bible. We continue to pray for you and for your pastor and uh, for the things uh, of the present and the future as well of this great church. Uh, I uh, hope you don't feel like I'm in a rut. I don't want you to be in one, but I'm going to take you right back to the book of Joshua uh, this morning. And uh, sometimes our passage is relatively short, within a, uh, a page or so. But this morning, actually, we'll be looking at chapters 11 through 14. So do the math. That's quite a big section, but you'll see why, and we'll be able to get through it all right uh, today as we study God's Word this morning. So let me invite you to turn for a reading of the scriptures to the 14th chapter of Joshua in, in the Old Testament um, of, of God's Word. And uh, let's read a portion of this passage that will help us get at least a fairly good picture of what the whole section is about. It's chapter 14 and just the first five verses. These are the inheritances that the people of Israel received in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the fathers, houses of the tribes of the people of Israel gave them to inherit. Their inheritance was by lot, just as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine and a half tribes. For Moses had given an inheritance to the two and one-half tribes beyond the Jordan. But to the Levites he gave no inheritance among them. For the people of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. And no portion was given to the Levites in the land, but only cities to dwell in with their pasture lands for their livestock and their sustenance. The people of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses they allotted the land. Now the story will get a little bit fuller for us as we go on, but that gives us at least a taste or a picture of what this passage is about. We're going to talk about one thing today. We're going to talk about inheritance uh, with a thankful heart. Uh, the last hours of Dallas Willard's life were marked by just two words. He lay in a hospital bed there was just one friend Gary Black Jr. who was in the room at the time he had been in great pain his family had come his wife had come they had gone home it was late at night it was decided that he would be given morphine for the last part of his life probably once it was given he would not be conscious again he was given the shot in just a moment or two, however, his eyes opened and he looked up and he said two words. Thank you. And he closed his eyes and in a few hours his heart and his breath stopped and he was in heaven. I've read that story and I've contemplated that story over the last few days, having just finished a book about his life. And I have thought, that is how I would like to be living my life. Maybe saying thankful to a friend, but in all likelihood, just being thankful. 
inheritances cause us to be thankful. Uh, I don't know if you've inherited something. You probably have, even if you don't know it. Uh, people are kind of strange about inheritances. Some people are very, very good with them. Carolyn Hunt was 95. She passed away. Perhaps you saw it in the news. She passed away this this past Tuesday. She was um, a very wealthy woman. She inherited from her father. She was one of 15 kids. She inherited $600 million, just a little bit more than probably anybody in this room has sitting in their bank account, I suspect. When she died, this uh, once deacon in her Presbyterian church, of whom they said she her, her finances were governed by what the Bible taught. That's how the article read. She doubled plus that $600 million. She was worth $1.3 billion when she died. However, most people, you might know this, I've read this over the years, uh, most people take all their inheritance, whatever they're left, and within six months, it's all gone. Sometimes people buy their dream house or their dream car or a bicycle or whatever <laughs> it is that they have money for. But it, it goes quickly for so many people. What would it be like if we had an inheritance, though, that we could keep and we could start experiencing it now and we could use it for the rest of our life and then, listen, even after we die and leave this earth. I'd like to talk about that today. My, my father didn't leave me much. He, uh, financially that is, he uh, loved me. I knew that, but he died at 56. I was 29, and I have in my home still some of the books that were in his library, and I have a few hand tools. I don't know. My dad might have had one power tool, uh, a, a little drill that was pretty beat up when he passed away, but... I still have the plane, the wood plane. I looked it up on the internet the other day, and it might be worth over $100. That's what my dad left me. But I still have it, so I'm grateful for that. Actually, dad left me something far more than material things. In fact, uh, most of us know the, the name of Patrick Henry. And uh, Patrick Henry was known for one great statement back in 1990, or 19, excuse me, 1775 when he was trying to organize the militia uh, to fight in that great battle that we all know about. And he said, you know these words, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. But, but more important than those words, perhaps, at least to some of us, would be these that were, were quoted uh, or spoken a little bit before he died, right at the end of his life. And he said this, This is all the inheritance I give to my dear family. The religion of Christ will give them one which will make them rich indeed. That was what he left, according to his words. Christ, the religion, he said, of Christ as an inheritance. I think that's what my father left me and my grandfathers left as him and my mother as well. And it was all, all really a part of a great inheritance that I still claim today. And from this passage, we'll talk about it this morning. Let's talk about inheritance. What do we know about it? What does it mean to us? What do we hope for? And these chapters will reveal some of that to us. We'll look at the historical action that provides for us, as is often the case in the Scriptures, a spiritual parable, if you would, for our 
lives about God and the inheritance that he has for his people. We'll review a little bit about the story of dividing and conquering and overcoming and destroying, some of, uh, some of that that moves on rather quickly in the text. Now here's the story of something that took place over 2,500 years ago, but there's a truth, there's a kernel of truth in this that we want to focus on today. We want to find in this picture something of God's great inheritance still for us today. So let's consider first the inheritance that was prepared for God's people. The inheritance that was prepared for God's people, that is historically. Now when you read the Old Testament there are there and the New Testament, there are occasions where we read about the inheritance, a gift from God. One is in the garden. The garden is a picture of what God intended for Adam and Eve to have. The second is what we will just call the land. The third is found in Revelation chapters 21 and 22 where we speak about a new heaven and a new earth. And all of these places, they are, they are places. They're prepared for those uh, whom God had loved or in our case, loved but grafted in to the true Israel. And we focus in particular today on the land of Canaan the land that God had prepared in a marvelous way and now is giving to the people of Israel. It is being ripped, really, from the hands of dozens of rulers. In fact, by the way, 31 are, are mentioned by location at the end of chapter 12. There's, there's a lot going on in these few chapters, and there are a lot of battles and a lot of change that will take place as God's people are about to inherit this land. There are those on the east and the west side of Jordan. There are those from the north and in the middle and, and, and the south. And in the middle is this land of Hebron. And you can see it a little bit on the map, uh, though I know it's too far away, but your Bibles probably have it uh, for you as well. And in Hebron, or just north of the section that we'll read about in chapter 14, is the land that Caleb will take and receive. All of this together, some 8,000 square miles, this land of Canaan is being possessed because of God by the people of Israel. What I want you to remember is this, that Israel did not earn it. Israel did not buy it. They took it. Now, that sounds terrible to us at times. They just took it, but here's the key. They took what was given. God gave it, as we shall see in this passage, and therefore they took what was given. So look at the last verse of chapter 11. We'll just kind of work our way through some of the scriptures today. And Joshua gave it, see it, for an inheritance, there's the word, to Israel according to the tribal allotments and the land had rest. Chapter 14 will end with the same words, and the land had rest. When I read these chapters, I think 11, 12, and 13 are a big picture. It paints some of the details. And then chapter 14 helps us just look at one section of all of this conquest, and that's the story of Caleb, beginning with verse 6. But, but we see that Joshua gave this. And in chapter 13, verse 15, if you look there, you'll see that, and Moses gave an inheritance to the tribe of the people of Reuben and so forth, and it lays it out. So Joshua gave, Moses gave, but if you look at chapter 11, verse 8, and I know I've got you looking back and forth, but that's all right. 
and it says there then and the Lord gave them into the hand of Israel so there's a picture now ultimately of what is taking place even though Joshua gave Moses gave it is ultimately the Lord who gives to his people this inheritance what I want us to remember today is this that God is still in the business of giving people what they cannot buy or earn we got that God is still in the business of doing that, of giving to people, people like you, people like me, something that we cannot buy and we cannot earn. So let's look at this and let's think about the implications of this for our lives. What is this inheritance? Well, in the broadest sense, here's how I would define it for us. This inheritance is about abiding in Christ and having a forever personal relationship with God. It is about abiding in Christ and having a forever personal relationship with God. John describes it in 1 John as joy. Paul describes it clearly in Philippians and other places as peace. It is really something, now think about this, because it seems so subjective, but it really is something God intended us to dwell in. It is something of incredible value. It is something that is given and cannot be taken away, though it may not be enjoyed at times because of our sin or our rebellion or our lack of belief or our lack of walking in the Spirit. But it is something that the enemy always wants to destroy and take away, but he can't have it. God said, this is our inheritance. In fact, Moses wrote these words, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. You, God, are our dwelling place, Psalm 90. Some translations say, you are our refuge. It's a place. It's a, an experience with God. So the question, question for today is this. How do we get in? I mean, how do we receive this inheritance, this relationship with God? In other words, how do we claim what God says he wants us to have, that he's paid for, that he's provided? So three lessons for us today, and I think they're fairly straightforward. The first is this. We must hold to God's eternal promises. We must hold to God's eternal promises. Caleb did that. You'll see in just a moment. Caleb did that. Here's what I want us to remember. God promised his land to Israel. And when he did that, he did three things. Number one, he provided the land. That's great, huh? He provided the land. Excuse me, he defined the land. Secondly, he provided the land. And thirdly, God required faith to receive the land. He defined the land. Well, you can read that in the text. It'll take you some work. Get a map out. You can figure it out. But it's all there. And some people still kind of trying to figure out where the boundaries are supposed to be. But God said, this is the land that is for you. He defined it. And then we'll see he provided it. And we'll see that there's a necessity of faith for all of this according to the promise of God. Now, some people still kind of don't know how to define this inheritance that God gave to us. It's not always e easy for us to define eternal life. 
If I said to you, would you describe heaven? Some of you would gather some of the scriptures that you have in mind and you'd say, well, it says this about it and it says that about it. Some of it, I suppose, is rather subjective. I know we could all read Randy Elkhorn's book on heaven or a dozen other books much like it, but I just want you to know sometimes, even though God defines something, we have to keep looking to grasp the fullness of its meaning. Before the grand blues musician B.B. King died just a few years back, he said this, I don't know what happens after this life. I haven't had my mother or anybody else come back and tell me. He said, I think this is hell on earth. Heaven to me is a beautiful lady and enjoyment with her. But if there is a hereafter, I wish I could go there. You know, I, I think there are a lot of people who had that sentiment near the end of their life. And they're not really sure how to define hell. They don't know how to define heaven. They'd like to experience it. God said through his son, there is an inheritance for those whom he calls and who have faith. We define it often as a personal relationship with God, as we've mentioned. It is being in his spiritual and eventually his physical presence. It is where sin is no more and peace is everlasting. It is where we will finally get to work out, I think this, we're going to work out all the bugs of our emotional and spiritual being. I, I know this, when I get to heaven, all the sin is gone. There's no more sin. I still kind of think that wherever I leave off on this side of heaven and then transition, I think I'll probably still be working on some of the boobar quirks. But I'll have a few millennium, at least, you know, the God will give me time as he knows time. All I know is this. The Bible does define for us what it is to have a relationship with God. And John chapter 14, I think, says it so wonderfully. Where I am, there you may be also. That's the inheritance. So he, he defines it for us. But there is a provider, secondly, of this life. And it's not you. You, probably all of you know this. Maybe some of the young people don't, so listen carefully. There's a provider of this life, this inheritance, but it's not you, and it's not me, and it's not our parents or our grandparents. It is God. I mean, we read some of them in the first few verses of chapter 14. Look at how many times it says give in this text. Over and over, God gives and God gives. And Joshua, in Joshua, it took the sovereign God to restore his people and then return his people to this land. It wouldn't have happened otherwise. It's the land that was promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It's the land that was given to Moses as they were led out of Egypt. It was given to Joshua as he prepared to lead them in. It's the promise of the place that God has for them. It is given by God, by God, by grace, we say. It's by grace that we are saved. We read that in God's word. We know that in our hearts if we've come to faith. So that leads us then ultimately to this, that though God defines it, God provides it, we must receive it by faith. And if you read the story of Joshua, you, you can't miss it. Joshua believed. I mean, he believed. 
he didn't go. I, I, I think I just, I think I'll just stay back here, and uh, I, I'm not sure about this. He didn't say that. He believed. Caleb, my goodness, Caleb believed. In fact, Caleb, if you read the stories of Numbers 13 and 14, Caleb believed 45 years ago. 45 years before he believed, he had faith in this God and what he could do. So we need to see this land. We need to see this land in the scripture that ultimately will allow us to live and eat of the tree of life and the rewards of faith will be ours. That promise is for those experiencing Christ's grace, Ephesians 2. That promise is for those who enter in, who are connected to, the Bible says, joined to, united with Christ. That's Romans 6. All by what? By faith. It's God's grace at work, but it's entered in by faith. If you're like me, though imperfect, in so many ways, you are still seeking to know this God of grace, Christ, the Holy Spirit. If you're like me, you know that you only have a glimpse, but still you can see it, an idea of heaven. If you're like me, you're a seeker, a seeker of Christ, even though you have come to Christ of living in the way, of living in the truth, of living in the, the life. That's the inheritance. That's whom I love, that Christ. That's the one I want to live his life through me. I can't live the Christian life, but Christ, you can you want to, you will live your life through me. That's the inheritance. A few of you are old enough or have listened to enough sermons, you know the name of R.A. Torrey. He told the story of a young single woman in England who was always seen wearing a golden locket around her neck. And though people would ask she would never open it for them. They assumed probably there was an image inside of it of someone that she deeply loved in life. She died, and the locket was opened, and inside was a small slip of paper with these words on it, Whom having not seen, I love. Christ. Christ. Inheritance. Now secondly, from this passage of passages of Scripture, we need to see, particularly from the story, that Caleb followed God's plan to gain this inheritance, and so must we. We must follow his plan to receive ours. What we see is that while none of us are central to God's plan, listen, all of us are essential to God's plan. I, I want you to remember that from this passage of Scripture as you look at the story of our inheritance. There is a convergence that takes place. It's a marvelous convergence. There is a God who is all-powerful and eternal, who has called us to himself and in our redemption has provided harmony, not just with the possibility with one another, but also with him ourselves so that we might carry out the very things that he's called us to do. I don't have a clue what's going to happen with Glenn Schreiber this coming week or so. I know Glenn. I've known him since we were both rather young. He's still 
rather young to me, a little bit at least. But um, the Glenn will serve you well when he comes, and he'll love you, and he's just a wonderful leader. But I'll tell you this, you'll probably talk about what it means to be a part of a church in some way, shape, or form. And what it ultimately means is that in this inheritance that God provides, there's something that God is doing, calling us to, and you and I then just also tie are tied into that, and we carry out whatever it is that God has called us to do and to be. Caleb understood that. Chapter 14, we see the part of the land that, that, that he was going to focus on is called Hebron, you see it on the map again, and it's, you know, this was a difficult place. Lots of people preach about this from this passage and talk about how he took the hardest place, which, which is probably true, but that's not what's significant about it. It's because it was allotted to him from God, and it is the place that would really encase also Jerusalem, just north, the northern part of Hebron. By the way, Hebron means love or communion or fellowship. That's a marvelous picture of what God is providing for his people. It's just east of the salt or the Dead Sea, just uh, nearby Jerusalem. Uh, two things that we remember about God's plan. The first is seen in verse 13, verse 1 and following, and that is that partition would be central, as I've said to us, but it does also require everyone's full participation you're not you're not central god is central but you need to participate secondly participation is out of our control we don't get to decide really what role what part we have in this work that god has given to us to do he will do that so you put these together and what we see is that god has a master strategy that he's intended for us even in our own age and generations in fact, chapter 14, verse 5, we read, the people of Israel did as the Lord commanded. They allotted the land. So you see that the people are just tying in with what God has called them to do. There are three major offenses that you'll read. One is central, then they go north, goes almost up to Mount Hermon, the very north, then down south, down near where the Gaza Strip is today. Now all of this is intricately woven by the work of God but these people again not central to it but absolutely essential to it enter in by the way they didn't succeed completely if you if you just spend a couple of minutes you see at the end of chapter 11 some of the giants still remain they didn't get rid of all the giants and if you if you look at the end of chapter 13 or the middle of chapter 13 verse 13 you'll find they didn't drive out all people from a couple of the tr of the, the the people of the regions the, the Geshurites and the Maccathites. What we need to remember is that we probably are not, well, no, I shouldn't say probably, we will not have complete victory in gaining the fullness of our inheritance on this earth. There will still be those things that will be there that gnaw at us. But I want you to see this, that God in his wonder, his wonderful giving to us of this life intends us to dwell by participation, by participation. I probably don't have it quite right, but I heard it a couple of times after Tennessee lost yesterday, and they kept asking the question, who are the real Vol uh, fans? Who are really the fans of the Tennessee Volunteers? And I, I think I knew what they were saying. It's those that are still with them even when they lose a football game. Well, who are the real people who are inheriting this 
land. I think it's those people who are participating in what God has called them to do. Is there a place for you in the kingdom of God? I mean, now or in the church? There is. God intend any of us to just sit and watch? No. Well, what about when we get old? You mean like 85? I guess not. Caleb was still at it. Well, what if we're real young? Well, I don't know. I think God gives us gifts when we are first born into his family and we start to use them. I might have mentioned this last time I was here that I had just come back from Albania. I know I mentioned that, but I did a retreat, a retreat, 24-hour retreat. It was all it was. It was the most marvelous experience with a church that I had been involved with really from 2004, I guess it was, or three when I met their pastor. But, um, it was a retreat for the workers you know, there were 40 people at that retreat. On Sunday, there might have been 65 people in church. I went around and I met some of them I had known for all these years, but some of them were new. They were all engaged in the ministry of that church. Some of them were new believers, like one man who had just come to faith out of atheism. But he was involved in ministry. When I read the stories that are found in this passage that we look at today, what I see is that it's just that we're to be involved. You know, I think maybe we don't do it here at this church, but many of the churches I'm in, they make a big deal about clergy. Now, listen, you should care for pastors, people, but not because they're clergy, not because they're on a different pedestal. It's just because they're giving so much of their life. Take, take good care of them as I trust you are with your pastor. But I, I just want you to know every one of us are to be a part of this. I mean, Paul said in Colossians 1, verse 12, that he, that is God, the Father, has qualified you. Called God, you young people, you older people, God has qualified you to share in the inheritance, it says, of the saints. You're qualified. Live it. God will decide. He'll... He ca the, the lots are cast like they were for the disciples in the book of Acts and certainly throughout the Old Testament. It's a means of God's assigning. We don't understand how the lots work. I don't know how they work. They shouldn't, I shouldn't be able to figure it out. How do I know who's going to be gifted with what in the church? I don't know. But, you know, some of the best school teachers don't make great Sunday school teachers. You'd think they would because they know how to teach mathematics in, a, in terms of their methodological uh, abilities. But, but the gift of teaching might be to somebody else. It might be the guy that runs the garage. It might be to the person who is, is um, staying home with their kids. The gift of teaching and all the other gifts. God, God gives them. And all we are to do is, let's just say, say it again, is to brief, briefly, is to embrace these things that God gives to us and carry them out. So that's the second thing I want you to see. And then the last, and this leads me just to a few comments, particularly about Caleb. Like Caleb, we take up being a part of God's possession work. Like Caleb, we take up being a part of God's possession work. I mean, we take it up. We don't just acknowledge it. We do it. 
Is there a skill level to it? There must have been for, for Caleb. But I don't think that's what it's all about. Was there respect involved in terms of, of how he lived his life and how he was cared for by others? I, sus I suppose so, but that's not what it's all about. What we really just need to do is say, whatever it is that God you've called me to do, that's what I want to do because I want to fully experience the inheritance as much as I can, this side of heaven. So that what's marvelous about Caleb, though, is found in, in how he took possession of that which God had given to him. So look at verse 7. I'm just going to point these things out of chapter 14. All right? For, uh, verse 7 of chapter 14. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant, when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. Do you see that? As it was in my heart. Is it your heart to experience the inheritance of God? Is it in your heart to be involved in the inheritance of God? If it's just because Elder Eric or somebody else in the church or Pastor Chris said, you know, we need you to do this, well, that may be the beginning of it, but for it to really change has to be in our hearts. The second thing I see is in the next verse, he encouraged others by his heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. There was something about Caleb that he touched the hearts of others for good and for bad, for those who were in opposition to God. But he encouraged the hearts. You know, that's what 12 spies were supposed to do 45 years ago. But only two of them, Caleb being one, did that. You know why that is. It's because bad news sells. Bad news always sells. Good news doesn't sell. Good news makes people sit back and go, oh, isn't that nice? But bad news, oh, we've been watching this, haven't we, for the last month or three uh, or a couple of years, whatever it's been, uh, just people trying to tell us how bad things are and how bad people are. And boy, it never ends. I want to be a person who sells the good news, don't you? Let's just do that. Let's just do that. Let's live out our inheritance by talking about the things that are good and encouraging the hearts of others. But the third thing you see is that Caleb followed God with his whole heart. Verse 10, And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said these 45 years since the time the Lord spoke the words to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is it, my strength now is as my strength was for for war and for going and for coming. You just read that and you you can sense this man's heart is rich for what he's about to do. It's kind of the Old Testament version of taking up your cross and following Christ, it seems to me. God has kept him alive. He acknowledges that. So, so he succeeds to claim the inheritance. He wholly follows the Lord. Verse 14 tells us he wholly follows the Lord 
the God of Israel. Wow. You know, you, you, you know the unsinkable Molly Brown? This is the unstoppable Caleb. That's who this is. Others are pouting because, you know, it looks tough out there. Others are saying, but I'm old. Let the young people do it. Others are saying, I've got other things that are more important to me, which may be true, and that's what they'll do when they say that. All I know is there's a marvelous picture of a person who's claiming the inheritance of God in his life, and he does so by doing what God has called him to do and to be. If you've stopped claiming your inheritance, maybe it's because the job just looks too big. If you've stopped claiming your inheritance, maybe it's because you've been listening to other people around you who are quitters. If you've stopped claiming your inheritance, maybe it's because you just think, well, my age or my skills has stopped me. I, I, I just I feel like I'm limited. I know what that feels like. You didn't hear me preach when I was 20. I wasn't very good, but I had a lot of energy. Uh, and that worked in that, those days. Now I have to be good because I don't have a lot of energy. But it works out, kind of averages, I think. Let's just claim what God has given to us. Caleb believed God was able and God had called him and therefore he would do it. And, as I said, the end of the chapter, and the land had rest from war. The question is, does God have all of our heart? The question is, do we live our lives trying to encourage others? The question is, will we carry out what God has done in us as we converge with him in carrying out the ministry that God has called us to. Rest is the inheritance. Peace is the inheritance. You know what the inheritance is? When I, when I think I'm living in the inheritance that God intended for me, it's when I stop whining and I'm just thankful. It's that Dallas Willard thing. Thank you. Thank you. I want to close with a story. And if you have never heard this story, I, I will be shocked. You may have heard it 12 times this year. I've told it a few times when I've preached. I heard it first from my father-in-law. Actually, I think I read it in a sermon that he had preached in his church and in those days they printed out the sermons afterwards pretty neat thing for his son-in-law to be able to get I got stacks of my father-in-law's sermon but long ago my father-in-law told the story of a powerful preacher named Fred Craddock Fred, and this is so good for us here I had no idea I would be here to tell this story but Fred Craddock told of a summertime when he and his wife were vacationing in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. I didn't know where Gatlinburg, Tennessee was when I told this story or when my father-in-law told it in Boston. Well, one night, one night they found, he and his wife found this quiet little restaurant in Gatlinburg. It was a while ago. And uh, they, they sat down. They were looking forward just to having a good meal together, a private meal. 
while they were waiting for their food, they saw this rather distinguished-looking white-haired man as he was moving from table to table in this little restaurant visiting with the guests. Craddock leaned over and whispered to his wife, I hope he doesn't come over here. He didn't want anybody intruding on their privacy, but sure enough, the man did. He came over to their table and he said, where are you folks from? He said in a friendly voice, Oklahoma, Craddock answered. Splendid state, I hear, although I've, I've never been there, the stranger said. What do you do for a living? Oh, well, I teach homiletics at the Graduate Seminary of Phillips University. Craddock replied it kind of like that, trying to shoo the man away. <laughs> oh, so you teach preachers how to preach, do you? Well, have I got a story for you. And he pulled the chair up and he sat down at the table with Craddock and his wife. Craddock said he groaned inwardly and thought to himself, Oh, no, here comes another preacher's story. It seems like everybody has at least one. And the man struck out his hand and he said, I'm Ben Hooper. I was born not far from here just across the mountains my mother wasn't married when I was born so I had a pretty hard time when I started school the classmates had a name for me and it wasn't a very nice name I used to go off by myself at recess and lunch because the things they said to me cut so deeply what was worse he said when I'd go to town on Saturday afternoons I feel like everybody's eyes were burning a hole through me, wondering just who my daddy was. When I was 12 years old, a new preacher came to town, and I would go to church. I'd slip in late. I'd leave early. But one day, just one Sunday morning, the preacher said the benediction so fast that I got caught in the crowd, and I couldn't get out. I could feel like everybody's eye was on me. And just, just as I was about to get to the door, I felt this big hand of the preacher reach over on my shoulder. And I looked up, and the preacher was looking right at me, and he said, Who are you, son? Whose boy are you? He asked. And I felt this weight coming down on me. It was like a big black cloud and, and, and now it was even the preacher who was going to be putting me down. But then he, he looked and he studied my face with a smile, a smile of recognition. And he said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know who you are. I see the family resemblance. You're a child of God. And with that, he slapped me across the rump and he said, boy, you've got a great inheritance. Go and claim it. The old man looked across the table at Fred Craddock and said, those were the most important words anybody ever said to me. And I've never forgotten them. And with that, he smiled and shook hands with Craddock and his wife, and he moved to another table to greet some of his friends.
As he walked away, Craddock, a native Tennessean himself, remembered from his studies of Tennessee history that on two occasions the people of Tennessee had elected to the office of governor men who had been born out of wedlock. And one of them was Ben Hooper. May I say to all of us today, son, daughter, child, gray-haired ones, mom who's busier than anything these days, you've got a great inheritance. You've got a great inheritance. Go and claim it. Father, we pray that we might claim the very things that you have for us. You've described in this book your word. We pray, God, that in our own hearts we would assume nothing of ourselves except to give to you our complete devotion, that you would have my heart, our hearts, that we would serve you with joy, that we would experience this side of heaven, a taste of that inherited life in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for it. Thank you, Father, for our life in Christ today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.